comes louder. He's one on one with Hemsley, and Hemsley blocks it. Mitchell spins on Childs and one. Cal up top. Shepard. Shepard was asking for it for three. And he popped it deep. He was banging. Well, Watson and a foul. This is a clinic. This is Aztec basketball. What's up, Aztec fans? Welcome to the Aztec Breakdown Podcast. My name is Trone. I'll be your host. Before we start looking at anything, I want to remind everybody to find the podcast at anchor.fm slash Aztec Breakdown so you can support the podcast, send any, any voice messages, all that stuff. Be sure to find me on Twitter, on YouTube, the whole, the whole spiel. Um, just Google Aztec Breakdown. You can find me anywhere. Make sure to follow, subscribe, rate, five stars, all that wonderful stuff. Today, there was, the well, not today, this week, there was a lot of news in regards to San Diego State. So we're going to go over some of that before getting into the game previews and reactions and all that stuff. The first thing I want to talk about is Rocky Long is out as the head coach at San Diego State uh, for the football team. And honestly, I'm I'm definitely kind of sad to see him go. I'm happy about the way he was able to do it. Over the course of the week, there had been rumors that he was leaving because the athletic department was telling him to get new staff, basically. And when he came out... He said, that's not what happened. I'm just retiring. You know, he's kind of, he's, he was the second oldest head coach in college football. And he's just kind of tired of the grind of being a head coach, it sounds like. So he's not leaving to coach somewhere else because he's mad at the school or anything like that. He said he's retiring. He said he will listen if anybody wants to hire him as a defensive coordinator, because that's what he had the most fun doing. But there's no plans, at, as of the time I'm recording this at least, to go join another school. So it's nice to see Rocky be able to leave on his own terms and just come to a conclusion that is best for him and his family and all that stuff. It sounds like there is a slight chance that he can be hired as the defensive coordinator at San Diego state. Uh, San Diego state's defensive coordinator went to Syracuse. And so it sounds like there's a small chance Rocky might be able to stay, which I would love. I, I can't imagine if you're a fan of Aztec football that you wouldn't like that just because Rocky has been in charge of one of the best defenses in the nation pretty much as long as he's been coaching San Diego State. And so if he gets to just focus on that and not have to worry about offense, that's awesome. Brady Hoke is back in as the head coach at San Diego State for the football team. And overall, I think that's a good hire. I don't know who else was on the market or anything to compare it to, but I've said before that the number one thing you need to look for For me, or maybe not the number one thing, but one of the most important things is will the person you're hiring leave after a couple years if they find success? And Hoke did that already when he was the coach of San Diego State football for a couple years before Rocky Long took over. He left 
to coach the University of Michigan and had a good record at Michigan. Most of it was in his first year, and he kind of his win total dropped every year after that. So that seems like it would be indicative of of bad recruiting. But who knows? Not going to get too much into that. Uh, the point is just that I think hiring Brady Hoke as the new head football coach is a good thing. He's another defensive-minded guy, which I personally like. If you don't like it, I mean, that's that's fine. Everybody has their opinion. I think whoever comes in at offensive coordinator is going to be very key to advancing this program forward. Uh, similar with defensive coordinator, but that is slightly less important because Brady Hoke is a defensive-minded coach. His reputation is that he's a good recruiter, so hopefully that can stay and hopefully he can keep a lot of the guys who have already signed on, all, all that stuff. Uh, mostly I just I just you know wanted to say thank you to Rocky for everything he's done. He's not going to listen to this, but thank you to Rocky Long. And uh, I'm excited for the next couple years of Brady Hope coaching. He I don't remember if I said this just a minute ago, but he said he somebody asked him if he would leave again if he had success here and he said uh, that he wouldn't. And while, you know, you can decide to take him at his word or not, I think it's important to remember that he did leave already. He's been through that and he's older now too. He's in his sixties. And so he might also be at that point where he's just looking for that spot to settle down. And so that's what I'm hopeful for. It's, it's always possible that a sweetheart deal could come along uh, and, and whisk him away. But, at the moment, it seems like that is not super likely to happen. A couple other things to go over. It's it's Monday as I'm recording this, and so the new AP poll dropped. San Diego State is still ranked 7th in the nation in the AP poll, but they did gain points. So it does show some level of progress. It means that the average uh, place they got voted in moved up even if it's not reflected in their ranking. It just wasn't big enough to, to overtake that number six spot. But um, they, they did get moved up in a point perspective. So that is important to look at. And it's also nice to see that there is a little bit of a gap in between San Diego State at seven. And then uh, I forget whoever the number eight team was, but there's a little bit of a gap in between the seven and eight ranked team, which doesn't give you a buffer in case of like a loss. But it just kind of shows that in the collective, there seems to be San Diego State is in a is in a higher tier than the team that's directly below it. So I I don't know. I like to see stuff like that. We got last week, it might have been two weeks ago. I don't know. The time gets kind of blurry for me at this point, but the Mountain West signed a new TV deal, which is awesome. And I wanted to just kind of explain it real quick and go over what my thoughts are on it. The raw numbers are, I think it was six years and $260 million in a deal with CBS and with Fox. And so the raw numbers aren't really what I look for. What I want to know is how much money each school gets. And when you're looking for those numbers, you get different results. The consensus is basically each team will get somewhere between three and four million dollars a year compared to the last TV deal where each school got 1.1 million dollars a year. So the good news is each school has increased their TV revenue by 
three times, four times almost even. That's that's the good news. The, the reason for the discrepancy in numbers is there's a couple uh, interesting things. For one, Boise State still has a kind of a sweetheart deal where they got negotiated separately, so they get more money than everybody else. And in terms of football, Hawaii also gets a chunk of the money. They didn't in the previous deal, but in this one, the deal said they can be on four games between the two networks. And so they will get a chunk of it too, but Hawaii's chunk will be smaller than if you just averaged it. And Boise State's chunk is bigger than if you just averaged it. And so it it kind of messes up the numbers. There's also still negotiations ongoing for what happens if neither of those two networks pick up a game. And so it's possible that the deal ends up jumping up to closer to uh, $300 million over six years. And that would bump it up closer to that $4 million range for each school. Regardless, it's nice to see uh, more money coming into the, the conference, coming into the school, especially because with that money you can pay coaches more, you get better facilities, you do all, all, all sorts of stuff. So that helps. The downside of it is, maybe not the downside, but just comparing it to other conferences, the American Athletic Conference just signed a deal earlier this year or last year maybe, and their deal was about $7.5 million for each school over the course of 10 years, and their deal was with ESPN. And so it's less than the American, which is probably where the Mountain West is, just nationally thinking in, in the general perspective. I don't think it's probably a fair expectation to say the Mountain West should get as much money as the American. Should have been the goal, absolutely, but realistically, I don't know if that would have been fair. The AAC did have the issue of, because all their basketball games especially are on ESPN Plus now, they had issues, some of the schools had issues where they had to hire new broadcast crews and put in new cameras and infrastructure and things like that because ESPN had certain standards that uh, had to be met. And so the schools couldn't just take some like journalism students and put up a camera and say, we're good to go. So they ended up having to spend some of that money they're getting from the TV deal on improving themselves. So it's not quite as good as it sounds, but even with that, it's it would still be more than the Mountain West. So in comparison to the American Athletic Conference, the Mountain West deal doesn't look super good, but it is still an improvement over what they had. A pretty significant improvement. If it's if it's three times, three times more, that's I mean, improvement. I'm kind of rambling. So I'm just gonna move on to the next thing. The last thing I wanted to talk about, this this came up on Twitter. Actually, there was two things I wanted to talk about, and I just didn't write one of them down. One thing was that I think it's Interesting. It's like a thought experiment. That's that's kind of interesting to think about. On Twitter, you'll see San Diego State fans and you see Auburn fans, and they both are kind of jockeying for position because they're the two last unbeaten teams, and it's trying to figure out which one of those two is better. And especially when it comes to like the AP poll, where I think Auburn is ranked five, and things like that. You know, somebody will say San Diego State should be ranked higher, and an Auburn fan will come out and say whatever they say, you know, whatever the deal is. And both teams essentially have been saying that the other team hasn't played each other. And so 
trying to approach that from as neutral a perspective as I can. I wanted to see like, how can both teams say that, you know, what, how is that a thing? And I just, I just think it's, it's interesting. Uh, so San Diego state, which by the way, I think should be ranked higher than Auburn, uh, with as, as objective of a mind as I can have about it. I think San Diego state should be ranked higher, but besides the point, San Diego State has a lower strength of schedule metric, but San Diego State has at the moment three quad one wins. They've had as many as five. Uh, I don't know. Like if I had to guess, I don't know if Utah would be a quad one win at the end of the year, but I would guess Utah State would be. So up to four. So at the moment, San Diego State has played pretty tough competition on the top end of their schedule. Whereas Auburn hasn't played a team that's ranked in the top 50 at all home away, neutral, whatever. Uh, That's, that's Auburn's deal. On the other hand, Auburn hasn't played any of the cupcakes like San Diego state has teams like San Jose state or Wyoming or uh, like long Island university teams like that. Auburn, Auburn doesn't have as low of teams that they've played. And so Auburn's strength of schedule is greater than the Aztec strength of schedule, pretty much regardless of, of where I've gotten the metric. If you get it on basketball reference, if you get it on Ken Palm, uh, anywhere else I've seen, I can't remember anywhere else right now, but anywhere else I've seen it, Auburn's overall strength of schedule has been tougher, but at the same time, they haven't played the truly top end competition. It's just that all their games have been kind of in that 50 to 150 type of ranking, whereas San Diego State has had some top 50 games and they've also had some bottom 50 games. So it's, I don't know, for me, it was just an interesting thought experiment, something to really look into and figure out how both of these fan bases can honestly tell themselves that the other team hasn't played anybody. Uh, I think it just depends on how you look at it. If you look at it from the perspective of of top 50 games, then yeah, Auburn hasn't, they haven't played any truly elite competition. They've just played a bunch of solid teams. And so that's why I think San Diego State deserves to be ranked higher because even though San Diego State has played a couple of those bottom feeder teams, they've also beaten some of the more elite teams in the nation. And on top of that, have a couple extra wins. And so, you know, San Diego State has two extra wins over Auburn. And I think that counts for something, you know, in, in two games, if Auburn is still undefeated, that's that's awesome for them. Uh, but they need to do that first. And by that point, San Diego State will have played two more games, too. And hopefully we're still undefeated. Anyways, that was a bit of a ramble. I ramble a lot, guys. It's just I don't know. I get excited to talk about stuff. So if my ADD upsets your head. I apologize. The last thing I wanted to talk about, I'll try and keep it pretty short. On Twitter, there was a guy, I'm not going to call him out. I didn't write down his handle or anything. I'm sure you guys can find it though. But there was a guy who said, uh, you know, hey, I like what you're doing. I think you use analytics too much though, and you don't use the eye test enough. And, uh, you know, it was very polite. It was very respectful and, and still supportive, but like a constructive criticism, which is, you know, the the best kind. And I replied back. I said, that's, that's absolutely fair. Um, when I created Aztec breakdown, the original goal was to use 
both the eye test and the analytics in conjunction. And that's why I refer you guys to my YouTube channel because that's where I put videos where I do look at, at eye test stuff more and try to show things. My production quality is garbage, but, uh, you know, that's what I try to do. Um, and then, you know, the Twitter side is more analytics and I, I reference the analytics in the videos, but it's, it's supposed to be more eye test. Uh, but I, I responded that the main reason why I focus on analytics so much, especially in Twitter is because in general, I don't have a lot of free time to look at, to look at the tape and, and go through a game. You know, I, I, uh, I will stream a game on my computer and I will record it one way or another. And that way I can go back and watch it later and look at the tape and see what's going on and, and, and see what's, see what's happening. But there's just not a lot of time for me, especially with my job right now, it kind of runs in cycles and I'm getting into one of the heaviest, busiest parts of the cycle here coming up. And so just at the moment, I just don't have a lot of time to go back and look at the tape. And so I would love to do more eye test stuff. That's why a lot of my videos are like season review videos is because the summertime is normally where things are a little bit calmer and I have more time to do that. Uh, but that's, that's the main reason why. And, and to his credit, he was totally understanding and he reiterated, he was like, once again, I, you know, I like what you do. I just wanted to throw that out there. And, and I said, I mean, yeah, it's totally fair. A couple of the other reasons, I mean, I don't know if anybody's curious, but a couple of the other reasons are, uh, that it's rare that I watch other teams, especially on tape, but even live for the same reason. One, I don't have a lot of time on my hands. Sometimes it's hard to even watch the Aztec games for a couple hours. Um, so it's hard to compare what I'm seeing live or on tape with what other teams do when I don't know what the other teams are doing. So it's, it just feels intellectually dishonest for me to say like, Oh, this, you know, Malachi Flynn should be an all American. If I'm only watching the Aztecs and I'm not watching any other players, you know, he looks great to me, but maybe there's 15 other players that would look better to me if I saw them. So that's part of it. Part of it is a lot of the eye test stuff is you need to know like specifically what you're looking for. And it's, it can be hard to, to like actually measure it. And so if you guys have seen, I'll do like Twitter threads about, uh, incoming recruits and I haven't done it for this year's class yet, but I'll, you know, I'll look at the tape or at the very least I'll look at highlights and I will look for very specific things. Like, can this player finish with both hands? If they dunk, do they have to jump off of both feet or can they jump off of one foot? And if it is off of one foot, can they jump off of either foot? Cause not all players can do that. You know, it's similar to, can you finish with both hands? And so, you know, there's very specific, tangible and measurable things that I'm looking for. And a lot of stuff is very hard to do that with when it comes to the tape. And you just, you have to know what you're looking for and it can be hard to express it sometimes, especially in a medium like Twitter. And so stats are much more tangible and they're much more measurable. And so they're just easier to, to communicate a lot of the times. Um, and that, I mean, those, those are the reasons why I like the analytics. Uh, another thing is that the biases of analytics are a lot easier to find. You can just 
you look at how something is calculated and what the inputs are and you can say, well, this analytic is good at measuring this, but not this other thing. And so you can factor that into your analysis very easily. Whereas identifying your own biases when looking at tape is a lot harder to do. So those are, those are some of the things I've been talking for a minute now, and I'm sure you guys want to get to the actual game portion. So let's get to that right after the break. And we're back. Let's talk about the last couple games really quickly. In the Wyoming game, I mean, obviously, we all really liked what we saw. I was definitely impressed with this team's ability, especially playing with a short bench, to play well in elevation. I think it just showed a lot of heart and a lot of grit. They essentially played eight men deep, and uh, which is hard enough as it is it's it's about what most teams do but it's hard enough as it is but especially once you consider playing at elevation it's even tougher uh hunter maldonado i think had 18 points but it was on like 23 or 24 shots so very inefficient 18 points and that was that he made a couple pretty lucky uh three point shots that were buzzer beaters so very easily could have been even worse and that's I mean, one of the strategies when you're playing Wyoming is Hunter Maldonado's probably going to get his, but you just make it as hard as possible and he will kind of shoot his team out of the game. So that was encouraging. I liked that Nolan Narain got some minutes. He played 15 minutes in the game. So the, you know, good way to help chip away at that rust, get him some, some live action in case he's needed later because he probably will be at some point Nathan Mensa status. I don't want to speculate on too much, but uh, I think Ziegler said Nathan Mensa is seeing a specialist this week now. And last week he said it was happening last week. So who knows what's going on with that? I don't want to speculate too much about what it could be or how long he might be out. It, it, I will say Ziegler has said in his articles that Nathan will probably be out for a couple months. He hasn't said why or where that's coming from, but uh, this that's just what he said. So take it for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, I'm at this point, me being as uninformed as I am, I'm kind of just expecting Nathan to be out for the rest of the season. Should have put this part before the break, but I'm expecting him to be out for the rest of the season which sucks because the team is definitely the ceiling is definitely higher with Nathan Mensa playing on the team. Um, I mean, I guess we can hope that he can come back by like the end of March or something when the tournament games would be starting uh, or like by a sweet 16 matchup or something like that. I, I don't know, but at this point I'm kind of assuming that Nathan Mensa is out for the year and just hoping that, Whatever, whatever is, you know, ailing him, uh, isn't life or career threatening is, you know, what I'm hoping for him at this point with, with as little information as we've been officially given. So that being said, Joel Mensa will be more important. Nolan Narain will be more important. Yanni's been playing more at the five and he's been playing great. He just goes out and does his thing, 
but I was happy to see Nolan get some playing time. Keyshad got, I think, five or six minutes in the Wyoming game. So once again, just a little bit of game action here, there, and Keyshad probably won't play at all in the conference tournament or in, uh, you know, the, the actual tournament, but you can still build on this and it gives him game film to look at. It gives him actual reps and next year he will be, (laughs) he'll be ready to go for sure. So I was happy about all that. Trey Pulliam has looked, you know, increasingly better. It's been happening little by little. I think I said that in the last podcast, his shot still isn't consistent, but you can tell he just has a better feel for the game. I haven't been able to look at the tape. One of the things that he struggled with during like around Thanksgiving time was hard hedges. If somebody, if somebody blitzed him, he had trouble with his retreat dribble and uh, it just, it, it, other teams were able to get him out of his rhythm by, by hard hedging him and by blitzing him. Whereas a guy like Malachi Flynn can either retreat dribble or can even just get around it, you know, which is cool. You'd like to see Trey do, do more stuff like that. He may be doing that more so lately. I haven't noticed it, but I haven't been looking for it. Maybe that'll be what I look for during the Fresno game. But regardless, he's playing solid minutes. He's facilitating. He's seen the court well. He had five assists in the first half against Wyoming. So his feel for the game has gotten much better. Um, it's just a matter of his, his shot falling at this point. Hasn't quite gotten there yet. But still, positive impact player. I didn't get to see the uh, Boise State game very much of it. I had it on kind of in the background. I was trying to listen to it and stuff, but I just I had other things going on. So I didn't get to watch it super intently. Obviously, happy with the win. That goes without saying. Happy to have a rope back, even though he only played, what do we got, four minutes. Uh, I mean, some similar thing. You know, he's back from injury. Just get some game reps, get his legs back under him little by little, and hopefully for Fresno State, he's more so ready to go. Nolan Rain didn't get a lot of time against... Uh, Boise, it was it was by and large the starters playing most of the minutes, which is fine. I think that happened because San Diego State came out so hot in the first half, and then in the second half, Boise just kept making these little runs. And so I think Coach Dutch just decided to keep his starters in for, for most of the game just to make sure Boise couldn't make a comeback. KJ Fagan went off. It was the game we've we've been waiting for. He had 23 points on 16 shots. So that's good efficiency. He only had one assist, but no turnovers, but really just the shooting. If if KJ's shot is falling, especially from deep where he went five of seven, then you got KJ who can hit threes. He's at, I think he's at 34% on the season right now, which is Above college average, 35 is about pro average. College average is between 33 and 34. So Cage is at right about 34. It's, you know, we'll just call it average, but he can shoot better than that. That's with all his previous games weighing him down. So if Cage is shooting up in that 37, 38 range, you got Malachi shooting. Let me pull up the numbers here real quick. You got Malachi shooting 42%. 
You got Yanni hasn't been shooting it very well from deep, but that's okay because you don't need him to do that. He needs to score from the inside, which he's been doing insanely well lately. You got Matt Mitchell shooting 38% from deep. KJ, like I said, is at about 34. You got Jordan Shackle shooting almost 45% from deep. Adam Seiko shooting 44% from deep. You got all these players that can hit these deep shots. And then with Yanni playing in the middle, drawing those double teams, and he's shown over the course of, of many games. He did it at Boise State. He did it uh, over Thanksgiving stands out to me because those are the games that I have been able to watch the tape on. Uh, when Yanni gets doubled, he's really good at, at passing the ball to somebody. In in the Boise State game, there was a couple different plays. He got doubled, and he uh, the, the double came from the weak side, and Matt Mitchell went to the weak side dunker spot, and Yanni kind of backed out with his dribble a little bit to create a little bit of space and then hit Matt Mitchell, and Matt Mitchell hit the shot. And I think that was the very first play of the game. And then later, Yanni got the ball, and it was KJ threw the ball into Yanni from, from the strong side, right? Because that's how you do, you, you do post entries. And Yanni took a couple dribbles, and KJ's defender was kind of in that middle area trying to decide if, if he needs to come over for the double or not. And Yanni took enough dribbles to to lure KJ's defender in close enough, and Yanni kicked it back out to KJ, and KJ hit the three. And that was pretty early in the game too. So Yanni has shown that he can hit somebody in the dunker spot, whether that's Matt Mitchell, whether that's Nathan Mensa, whether that's a rope. He's hit all of them over the season. And he can also kick it out to a three-point shooter. So you got Yanni inside, man in the post. And if the double doesn't come, we've all seen how pretty his post moves are. So you got Yanni down low in the post, killing it. He can also finish as a roll man and as a cutter and all that stuff. And then you got all these shooters around him. It's not all that different from the, the 2008 Orlando Magic team that was led by Dwight Howard. It's kind of a similar basic principle. The plays they run are different and, and the schemes they run are different, but in, in the basic sense, it's very similar in that way. Moving on to this week's games, uh, on Tuesday, which is tomorrow for me, probably today for a lot of the people listening, Tuesday we're in Fresno to play Fresno State, and this is a different Fresno State team than we played on New Year's Day. Uh, first off, they get Nate Grimes back, who is – probably their best player. I shouldn't say they get like they've had him back, I think for a little while, but he's probably their, their best player, at least offensively. And so getting him back, he's six, eight, he will be a tough guard. It will probably be Matt Mitchell's job for a lot of the game to guard Nate Grimes. And so Nate Grimes being six, eight, that's a little bit of a, of a size mismatch that favors Fresno state. They also have Jordan Campbell, a, uh, Midseason transfer who used to be a, or not used to be, who was a San Diego State recruit. And he actually committed to San Diego State before Justin Hudson left. Jordan Campbell might help because Fresno State, last time the Aztecs played them, had trouble with their ball handling and they had trouble handling pressure in the pick and roll and just pressure in general. And so Jordan Campbell being another ball handler who can come in and help in that regard will change things. The two point leaders in the last game were Orlando Robinson had 11 and Jared Hyder had 23, I think. 
Jared Hyder isn't normally as efficient as he was in that game. That doesn't mean that you can go into this game saying he's not going to get his. Um, but just I wouldn't guess that he would get 23 again. He was kind of their only guy who could produce, and that will probably drop down a little bit. You still want to watch out for him and make sure he doesn't get hot, though. Fresno State is still a team that shoots a lot of threes but doesn't really make a lot. That might change, especially on a game-to-game basis when you have two bigs like Orlando Robinson and Nate Grimes playing down low. That can that can definitely change things. But that's that's the Fresno State game. I just wanted to uh, point out that a couple things are a little bit different and give you the players to look out for. And then on game day, I'll go a little bit more in depth on Twitter about like the specific things you need to look out for. Following up the Fresno State game on Saturday, or yeah, following up the Fresno State game, we got Nevada in San Diego on Saturday. Nevada is an interesting team to me because I feel like on paper they're better than what they have been this year. It's definitely a team that I would think has potential to kind of put something together and be able to make a run for, uh, I, I mean, maybe not necessarily an at-large, but may, I mean, they could make a run for it, but they would have to start on Saturday by beating San Diego state in San Diego. But if, if not an at-large, but maybe just getting hot and winning the conference tournament and getting into the big dance that way, they are, uh, they're more of an offensive-focused team. They're above average on both offense and defense, but they're more offensively focused. Some players you want to look out for in this game are Jalen Harris, of course, who, who is a transfer who's come in and played really well for them. You got Jazz Johnson, who is a fifth-year senior, I believe, this year. Uh, he, I mean, he's only 5'10", but he shoots the lights out. I think he went 6-for-7 against somebody i can't remember who like unlv or somebody um earlier this year and so he can get hot from deep he's shooting about almost 45 percent from deep on the year so picture like jordan shackle level of shooting uh jalen harris i mentioned earlier he makes the team go he's good at getting his own shot he's good at facilitating for others he can hit the deep ball at a 35 percent clip so he's no slouch there. You got Lindsey Drew, who Aztec fans might remember from a couple years ago before he got hurt. He actually, he almost had a triple-double against the Aztecs. He was either one rebound or one assist short, something like that. Or maybe it was two rebounds or two assists. It, it, was, it was something like that. He's, he's a good player, 6'4", super athletic. He's also good at facilitating shots for others. He is the three-point shot at a 41% clip. These are the guys that that you want to look out for. As a team, Nevada is actually one of the best shooting teams from deep in the nation. They're 11th in three-point percentage. And they take a good amount of threes, too. They're 73rd in uh, three-point field goal rate, essentially. Like how many three-pointers they shoot uh, a game. Their weakness is, is inside. They aren't very good finishing inside um especially at at the rim or with their two-point jumpers their their two-point percentage is well below average and so that also drops their effective field goal percentage but they just aren't as strong inside and they aren't super great offensive rebounders 
either. They're they're definitely solid defensive rebounders, but offensive rebounding wise, they're not super solid. But they can get hot from deep, and as we know, that three point shot can be the ultimate equalizer. And even if you play great defense the whole time, somebody makes a three point shot, and all that all that defense was for nothing. Uh, I mean, not for nothing. I shouldn't say that, but it, it, it was a lot of effort to still give up to still give up three points. So hopefully the Aztecs can can wear them down and make those shots start to miss short by the end of the game because this team can this this Nevada team can light you up. To the Aztecs credit, the Aztecs aren't that far behind in three point percentage. Uh, like I said, Nevada's eleventh, the Aztecs are fifteenth. So it it very well could be an offensive shootout. I don't think it will be because San Diego State's defense is just too good. And even if Nevada hits some shots outside, San Diego State should be able to lock them up inside and be able to hit their own shots outside. And so I don't think it'll be necessarily a shootout. And I, I do expect the Aztecs to win. Um, but just with shooting like that, you know, if if you shoot as well as a team like Nevada does, you can beat anybody if you just if you just get hot and the other team has a little bit of an off game. So those are the players to look out for. Jazz Johnson, Jalen Harris, and Lindsey Drew. With that, Aztec fans, that about does it. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully my my rambling doesn't drive you too crazy. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, find me on all the social media, five-star ratings, all that good stuff. And I will catch you next time.